It takes years to know what you're going to want to use to finish a project. Does it need an orbital polisher? Or will good old elbow grease do the trick? But now that you're an expert, you're going to want a provider that knows how to serve an expert. You're going to want Worth. And you're going to want to visit Worth.ca. That's W-U-R-T-H dot C-A. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the July 22nd, 2022 episode of the Automotive News Canada podcast. I'm your host, Greg Layson, the digital and mobile editor at Automotive News Canada. My guest today owns more than 30 dealerships. About a dozen of them are in the United States. And nearly all of those, including one he broke ground on earlier this month, are luxury stores. So, we'll ask him why he's so attracted to the U.S. market, what makes it different from Canada, and what it takes to operate on both sides of the border. We'll also talk federal luxury tax, since he owns so many luxury stores, and he'll be candid about his feelings on that tax. All that and more when I speak with the chairman and CEO of the Raffi Auto Group, Terry Raffi, on this episode of the Automotive News Canada podcast. Terry, thanks for joining me on the podcast this week. Greg, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. You just broke ground on a Porsche store in Michigan, but before we get into that, I'd like to start a little more broadly. You own stores in Michigan and Ohio, and we've been seeing other dealership groups expanding all over the U.S. My question is why? What makes the United States so attractive to Canadian dealers right now? You know, I mean, I've been in the United States for at least 10, 12 years. Uh, started in Wilmington, Delaware with a Mercedes store, and then I had a uh, another Mercedes store in uh, Baltimore. Then we ended up in Ohio and Michigan today. I think the attraction right now, more so than ever, is the multiples in the U.S. are less than Canada. So the dealers are able to buy dealerships in the United States for less than they can in, uh, in the Canadian market. I mean, that's my guess, but I went to the U.S. for a different reason. Uh, I like the market. It's a different market, and uh, we've done fantastic uh, in the U.S., and we continue uh, to look for additional opportunities. We know that franchise laws are different on both sides of the border and things operate differently. Do you prefer one system over the other? Do you prefer doing business in the United States versus Canada? Is it easier? I just wonder what the differences are like. That, that's a loaded question, but I'm going to answer it for you. <laughs> I thought that might be the case. Is it difficult, though, to be going back and forth and, and you know, operating in one set of circumstances here and then having to sort of change over there? Do you have to set up a, an entirely independent U.S. staff? I just wonder what it's like for a dealer your size to be operating a large number of stores on both sides of the border. Is it a difficult task? Is it for everyone? No, you know what? I mean, look, the car business is the car business, whether you're in the U.S. or whether you're in Canada. But back to your first question. You jumped you jumped one question, Greg, but I'll get back to you. I'll keep you in track. <laughs> <laughs> so the franchise laws are definitely more favorable in the US than they are in Canada for the automotive dealers. In Canada, the manufacturers have more clout and the agreements are a little bit loosey goosey compared to what we have in the United States. I'm thinking that's probably one of the reasons why other dealers are starting to look over uh, to the United States to, to purchase and expand their business. But the Canadian franchise laws definitely need to be revamped. They need to be looked at. And the dealer body has to be a little more aware of what is really happening out there. Some of the manufacturers are telling us that, you know what, no, no, we're not interested in the agency model, but it sure the hell doesn't look like it when they're trying to set up different business models and how you buy a vehicle. And, you know, we'll, we'll you know do it online. The consumer can buy it online, and then they come to you for service. Well, if that's not the direction to an agency model, I'm not sure what that is. 
So hopefully they do not succeed because I believe the consumer still wants to go to a dealership. They still want to interact. They can start the transaction online, but I think the people still want to feel, drive, and smell the, smell the interior of a vehicle before they make that decision. All the experts and analysts I talk to sort of repeat what you just said is that there is still a large portion of the consumers that want to go to a dealership and that they still want to test drive things and they want to finish the deal in person. Do you ever see a time when the dealership or that part of the transaction is eliminated? Look, there's going to be a time. I mean, listen, the business is evolving, the world is evolving, everything is evolving around us, as you can see. And the internet has taken full control of a lot of things. But this is a different type of uh, purchase. This is the second most expensive thing that an individual will buy besides their home. So I'd imagine you still want to come see it, feel it, touch it, sit with it, talk to someone that understands the brand, a product genius that can help you uh, make that decision. It's not you buy a, a computer online, you go click and decide what you want and, and have it shipped to your home. You know, I mean, part of it will, will be online. We are doing some business online where the transaction is started online, but they still come to the dealership and they want to go through the de- delivery process and make sure that they understand what they're buying. So I don't think it'll, it'll ever come to an end. It might be reduced, but it'll still be there. So let's talk about this new Porsche store in Metro Detroit. It's going to be built in Shelby Township. It's just north of Detroit. Why this area? Why Detroit? So we own a dealership right now on Gratiot Avenue in East Point called Motor City Porsche. It's been there for many years. And we wanted to relocate it close to the other campus that we have, which is Audi BMW in Rochester Hills. So this is very close to that area. And that's a growing area. And we felt that the brand would be positioned better in that location than where it's at today. This store... You call it state-of-the-art. Tell me a little bit more about it. What makes it state-of-the-art as you describe it? What is special about this store? It's not small, is it? No, listen, for a Porsche dealership, it's going to be a very large dealership. Uh, it's about 24,000 square foot facility on four, I think around four acres of land. State-of-the-art meaning, believe it or not, it is the second, there's another uh, facility in the United States being constructed as we speak. It's called Gen 5, Generation 5, which is the latest designed from Porsche uh, North America. So this vehicle will have features inside of it that you will not see in any, in any other dealership. For example, you walk in, you're not walking into a showroom where you greet a receptionist. You kind of walk around a road. Imagine you're on a racetrack, walking around, viewing the product, accessories, whatever you're going to see at that dealership. I don't want to give too much information out. I think it's going to be something that people want to visit just to look at it and experience what's in this dealership. Is there one thing that excites you most about this new store, about this transformation, and about the future of Porsche stores? Look, I think Porsche is one of the best franchises. I'm not the first one to say that. The product lineup that they have coming and some of the products that they have available excites me a lot. And that's why I'm making this huge investment in this brand. I mean, we've only we've been a Porsche dealer for four years in, uh, in Cleveland, in North Olmsted. And I've enjoyed the brand. I enjoyed the inter- interaction. Very well-oiled machine, very well-operated right from the top down. So that's my excitement. I want to get your thoughts on Detroit. I, you're expanding there. Uh, the majority of your stores in Windsor, around Ohio, so you're close to Detroit. I grew up in Windsor, the Windsor area. You're a stone's throw away from Motown. So you're intimately familiar with Detroit. It's past, and in its somewhat recent history, they had a bankruptcy. I mean, how do you see Detroit today when it comes to the automotive future? Because it has been 
the auto capital of the world for seemingly ever. How do you view that city and what's going on in Detroit and its brands right now? I've been in Windsor since 1981, so I've seen the ups and downs of Detroit and what it's gone through. I think Detroit has done a fantastic job of rebounding. Some of the investments in Detroit, as you, I'm sure you've been downtown Detroit, you see what's happening is being transformed. I have a lot of confidence in Detroit and in the organization or the, uh, the leadership of the city of Detroit. They're doing a great job uh, with it, and I see a huge future. But that's, that's based. So the Detroit is the, is the name of the city, but there's a lot of the suburbs outside of Detroit that basically are a little bit insulated, isolated, or insulated, I guess is the word, from what really happens in downtown Detroit. Birmingham, Rochester Hills, Farmington Hills, the Shelby Township. I mean, these are great, great neighborhoods or areas that most people would love to live in and uh, and do business in. And believe it or not, that part of the world I just described has the highest income per capita. So a lot of money in that in that general area. And I think that lends itself well to the brands that we represent in the Detroit area. We'll be right back after this short break. It takes years to know what you're going to want to use for certain projects. People used to tell you, you're going to want a foam gun, wash concentrate, and eco-aluminum wheel cleaner. Or, you're going to want a half-inch impact gun, air hose, and an impact socket. But now that you're an expert, you're going to want to go with a company that knows the best way to serve experts is with expertise. You're going to want Worth. And you're going to want to visit worth.ca. That's W-U-R-T-H dot C-A. Welcome back to the podcast, where I'm speaking with the chairman and CEO of the Raffi Auto Group, Terry Raffi. Speaking of brands, the vast majority of your U.S. dealerships are luxury brands. Was that planned long before the talks and coming up the implementation of a federal luxury tax in Canada? You know, I mean, I never dreamed that this luxury tax would, would, uh, would come to fruition. But unfortunately, our federal government here in Canada has a different view. In my opinion, it's going to cost some money to administer this, and it's going to affect business in on all fronts. To answer your question, these were planned way ahead of that, and in the U.S., unfortunately, we don't have that kind of gouging going on. I feel that the Canadian government needs to refocus and rethink of how they're going after the people that create their jobs and taxing the hell out of them. A lot of people are pulling stakes and moving out of the out of Canada because of some of these reasons. I appreciate you being candid because I was going to follow it up with, I mean, you have luxury stores in Canada as well. And so I wanted to know your thoughts on the luxury tax. What is it doing to you and your business right now, the staff that you employ and the customers that you have? What's the reaction been so far? The tax isn't in place, but we've heard stories of people trying to make the purchases before the tax is indeed collected come September. What's the situation like right now? What's it mean for your business? You know what? I mean, fortunately, the taxes, I mean, we don't have a clear understanding of what the tax is going to be. We know there's going to be a luxury tax. Now they're saying it's over $100,000. Certain products are going to be excluded and airplanes up to this and boats up to that. We don't have a, real, a clear understanding, but people are, you know, they're thinking about it. They're coming in, trying to make the purchase before the tax comes in. But that hasn't really had a huge effect on some of our clients at this point. I mean, 99% of our product is below 100 grand that we sell, even on the luxury side. So the, you know, 5 or 10% or 1% that we sell, I guess it's going to have a, a bit of a sting effect to it, but I think we'll, we'll be okay. Would it have been better for the federal government to call it an exotic vehicle tax versus a luxury tax? Because Mercedes is a luxury brand or BMW is a luxury brand or Lincoln is a luxury brand. And 
as you say, you can get a lot of vehicles from those brands priced below the $100,000 threshold. So would it have been better to name it something different that really speaks to the value of the vehicle that is going to be taxed? Well, look, I mean, they're not just taxing vehicles. They're taxing airplanes, boats, yachts. So they said exotic cars. That would only mean cars, but they're going after the whole gamut. Anyone that has any money over a hundred grand spent on a luxury item, they want a piece of it, which in my opinion is going to cost the country and the government a lot more money to administer. And we're going to lose a lot of people that are employed today selling that product that will not have a job. So they'll end up on the employment line or somewhere that the government has to subsidize them. So in my opinion, that is a very, very poor decision on behalf of the feds. And uh, our prime minister Trudeau said that's his election promise. So he's, well, he's made a lot of promises he has not lived up to. So he's got, but he's living up to this one. Let's stay with luxury for a moment and talk about sales. What is that market like in general today in Canada? And I ask because six months ago, or maybe even a year ago, I was writing about luxury brands sort of withstanding and weathering the chip and inventory crunches. But that seems to have changed because after two quarters of sales this year, only six of 16 luxury brands that we track have posted sales gains through the first two quarters of 2022. What's happening in the luxury market in Canada right now? Well, as you know, we have stores in Toronto, London, Windsor, Ohio, Michigan, so we're all over. So I can give you a pretty good pulse on what's going on. Look, the luxury brands have held up very well. They're doing okay. But we still have major, major challenges. We have thousands of orders in the order bank that have not been filled. And I'm not sure how long the consumers kind of sit around and wait for these vehicles to come in. One of the manufacturers, I'm not going to name on this call, tells me, luxury brand, they have 5,000 units in the order bank coming in that don't have a name on them, which is telling me consumers are either backing off, canceling due to the interest hikes that we've had in Canada and the U.S., the cost of money, this luxury tax that's coming, and so on and so forth. But, but overall, you know, we're, we're still ahead, 25% ahead of last year. Uh, that's financially. The volume is pretty stable. As long as they can deal with this chip problem, we should be okay. Last question. I want to broaden out a little bit more and look at the entire industry from mainstream brands to luxury to exotics. You deal in all of it. How do you see the rest of 2022 playing out for Canadian auto dealers? This is going to be the same as what happened in 2019 when COVID came about. I had a meeting with my staff and I said, look, the world is not ending, but we need to be very smart. We need to reduce expenses and manage our way through this. I think it's going to, we're going to have a slowdown. It's going to be a challenge, but I think it's going to be rebounding in the first quarter of 2023. So short-lived pain, maybe a little bit. Short-lived pain is what we're going to experience here in the next six to seven months as we go through the, the adjustment of the interest rate hikes and so on and so forth. And the manufacturers, I'm sure you know that, Greg, that they've put away hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars in the last couple of years in money they did not spend on incentivizing the consumers buy their cars or rate reductions or what have you, guess what? They're going to take some of that money out of their coffers and start supporting the brands financially as, as well as marketing to get the consumers, allow the consumers the affordability to be able to afford some of these vehicles. And it doesn't matter what level you're on, they're going to have to come to the party. But again, one other thing that I'm going to point out is they've all learned from their previous mistakes. So the inventory levels that we carried in the past According to every manufacturer, I've been to 25, 30 meetings in the last three months with different OEMs. They tell me they will never, ever have the type of inventory they had in the past that they had to carry. So one too, one too few rather than one too many. 
do you agree with or like that decision? I think that's a fantastic decision. That helps save us on, on carrying costs, the floor plan costs. We can maintain our, our margins without everybody cutting their throat to do a deal. And I think the consumer long-term likes that. I like the one-price model, to be honest with you. If I can go someplace and buy a vehicle for the same price that my neighbor bought it like that, rather than me overpaying by five grand, and my neighbor said, oh, I bought the same one for 5000 less or vice versa. So I like that model. And that's where Porsche is really good at. We typically stick to MSRP. And the, and the consumers understand it. They come in, they expect it, and off they go. And we're having that same experience now with all the other brands, by the way. Terry, I've always wanted to have you on the podcast, so I appreciate it. Thanks for your time this week. Greatly appreciate it. I want to thank Terry for being my guest this week. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, have a suggestion, or simply want to comment, email me at glason at autonews.com. And remember, you can listen to all our previous podcasts on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, or on our website, automotivenews.ca. Just click the podcast tab at the top of the homepage. That does it for this episode of the Automotive News Canada podcast. We hope you'll join us next time. So long, everybody.